Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of Football Insiders podcast show, The Inside Track. I'm your host, Lewis Pears, and with me today, I'm joined by our transfers expert, the Scoop King, Pete O'Rourke, and our special guest, the former Everton and Aston Villa CEO, Keith Wynus. In today's show, join us for an exclusive deep dive into the ongoing saga surrounding Everton's FFP charges. You'll hear all the latest updates, including their appeal prospects, the second charge looming on the horizon, their chances of survival this season in the Premier League, what will the new stadium mean in terms of revenue, and the 777 partners takeover deal as it continues to stall. We'll also be discussing potential FFP reforms on the horizon, Manchester City's legal battle, Nottingham Forest's PSR struggle, and finally, are wolves on thin ice. Before we jump in, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that follow button on your preferred podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, make sure to give our pod a top review and rating. This helps us to produce the very best possible show. Let's get straight into the episode. All right, Pete, to start with, can we go through, please, the latest verdict of appeal for Everton regarding their FFP breaches? Yeah, obviously Everton and Nottingham Forest are waiting for these uh, charges that they were handed to uh, get the verdict, which we are expecting uh, in the middle of this month. Obviously, the process has been fast-tracked after lots of confusion and delays over the previous charge uh, that Everton have got as well. The 10-point deduction that they had in November obviously really hurt them badly because they were having a really good season up to then, but the 10 points taken away from them has left them in this uh, relegation battle right now as well. So, yeah, Everton now waiting uh, for the verdict on that one. They are appealing it, obviously, as you'd expect. Um, but, yeah, I don't hold that much hope for them that they'll be getting good news from this verdict uh, in mid-February. Maybe a reduction in the 10 points, I think, is the best they can hope for. Maybe getting that reduced to six points would uh, probably be a success for Everton. And then, obviously, they have this second charge as well, which is uh, going to be fast-tracked. We'll probably find out about that in April alongside the charge that Nottingham Forest are facing. So, yeah, obviously it's a D-Day for uh, Everton in mid-February when they do get this verdict and uh, lots of clubs will be anxiously watching to see the outcome. And Keith, what do you anticipate about the appeal? Do you think it's going to be successful? And actually, do we have any indication at all of what could happen? Because we've discussed previously maybe a six-point, a three-point. You might be given points. Who knows? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm a bit more bullish than Pete is uh, for uh, a, a more positive outcome on Valentine's Day, hopefully, is the uh, the day that Everton gets a, a bouquet of roses from the Premier League, which would make a change from the thorns we've been getting recently. Um, but I think the um, the signs, and everybody's frantically trying to read signs or look for any any sort of, you know, hieroglyphics and what's going on. And there does seem to have been a slight change in the media narrative about this being a bit more positive in terms of the outcome for Everton. Uh, I think the the super silk, as it's become known in Everton terms, Lawrence Rabinowitz, who's the KC that's handled the appeal, I think has put forward a pretty robust case from all we can uh, be told. Uh, obviously, there's been no details released yet. Uh, it was interesting that the clubs are told not to comment in any shape or form about the appeal, yet the Premier League put out uh, some you know, press releases and some uh, background briefings the night before the actual appeal started, which I think is very naughty again. But I just think the Premier League have got themselves in a real mess, and I think the, the only positive outcome for this will be a reduction in the points for Everton, and it may even be as far as the points are actually all taken away and some are then put back in suspended form. Uh, and I think there may well be a fine that will be the outcome of this. And I think it's the only way that the Premier League can try and save some face for the mess they've created. 
do you think, Keith, that the public hearing should have been, it should have been a public hearing due to mass interest? Because, of course, it has been behind closed doors. And as you said, lots of it is smoke and mirrors. We're trying to sort of detect online what's going on. Do you think it, it should be known actually what is being said in the courtroom? I think... Yes, I think it should have been. I think, I mean, that they did print the uh, the sort of you know, transcript of the uh, initial hearing, but I think it should have been uh, heard in in the open. It's got such importance in terms of how the Premier League is regulated, and so it must be seen to be regulated well. It's not just regulated well or told it's been regulated well. It has to be seen to be regulated well, and that would have been very important and reduced, I think, the jeopardy for the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some Evertonians, Pete, were frustrated online that the, the penalty actually mirrored the punishment suggested by Premier League CEO Richard Masters. Do you think he's been too involved in the, in this whole case? Well, obviously, he's the head of the Premier League, so he's, he's going to have to be uh, front of house to look at all these things. He's been pretty adamant that uh, the rules are there and they need to be... Uh, applied to everybody in the Premier League, not just uh, certain clubs. Obviously, he came in for a bit of criticism with his uh, comments in the, I think Westminster when he said it's not the rules are just there for the small clubs as well. And uh, when he was regarding Manchester City's 115 charges, uh, and obviously that didn't go down very well with Everton and Nottingham Forest. Um, but yeah, he says the rules are there. And I do get it. If the rules are there, everybody has to abide by them. And obviously, Nottingham Forest and Everton have breached the rules. They've openly admitted that here with the second charges. And it's just been complicated by the fact that this Manchester City case has uh, been ongoing. We still don't have a, a, well, he says a date has been set, but we don't know when it, it's going to be heard for those 115 charges. So I can understand the anger and disappointment from Everton fans, from Nottingham Forest fans as well, when you've had this whole Man City case ongoing. For several years as well, we've obviously seen the Everton protests. They're not happy with the fans uh, claiming the Premier League's not fit for purpose, really, with uh, the banners and the placards at the stadiums as well. It was obviously interesting that uh, Mr Silk was at the game at the weekend, uh, I think, for Everton Tottenham as well. So, obviously, I don't think he would have been making an appearance at Goodison Park if he wasn't confident that uh, he's going to have a successful uh, result for Everton when this verdict does come. So, yeah, I can understand it from Everton's side that there's a lot of anger uh, regards of the Premier League and especially Richard Masters as well. But he is the main man there, so he's going to have to front it up. Keith, what do you make of it? I know you've spoken quite strongly before about the Premier League seniors and actually how disappointing you felt they've, they've done in terms of their job over the last few months with these cases. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm very clear on it. Uh, I think Pete's a little mistaken here in terms of who's the top of the Premier League. There is actually a chairman. Uh, and that's the, the, the mysterious chairman, Alison Britton, of the Premier League, who has been completely absent from this process. And I think that if this is the biggest penalty ever given to a Premier League founding club, it should at least be the chairman who's getting involved in actually putting forward the Premier League's position. And I think for her to be completely absent is, is wrong. And in a sense, I think she's downloaded it onto Masters. I think Masters is clearly out of his depth, in my opinion. And I think that this whole issue could have been handled in a completely different way. And uh, we could have, you know, the, the Premier League's integrity could have been uh, kept intact. But I just, I'm, I'm just very confused by the fact, I mean, Everton have been engaging with the Premier League on these sort of issues since 2020. And they've been, you know, lifting the veil on all the finances. All the transfers have either been approved or not. At one stage, the Premier League had told the clubs that there was no charges going to be coming to Everton. And so it's almost as though they've got Everton to give them information for the last few years and then turn around and used it against them. So there are some big issues around how the Premier League has governed this. 
And let's not, not forget the Premier League is only the management group for the 20 clubs who are shareholders within the Premier League. Nothing more than that. And so they really, you know, they've, they've got to respond to those clubs and do a better job, I think, of maintaining the integrity of the Premier League. Right now, the table is a mess. The Man City issue, I think I mentioned before, should I think it sh everything should have waited until that had been heard. And then each case in turn should have been heard. Uh, what worries me on the Man City issue is that last week the government were down in the UAE apparently starting opening uh, trade talks with the UAE. I'm concerned that the sort of thing that may happen is Abu Dhabi whispers to the government saying, look, we've got a lovely jet order we'd love to give you, but can you sort the Man City out issue for us? And uh, it's those sort of things that do go on that uh, that worry me considerably. Yeah, I guess it remains to be seen, really, doesn't it, what comes of, of it. But, Pete, to kind of vaguely wrap, so slowly wrap up, uh, do we, you know, you mentioned that April the 8th, they said it was April, it sounds like the second charge might be happening. When will the the points verdict then happen or, or a fine? You know, will it be a points deduction? Was it likely to be to be a sanction? What, what are we looking at going forwards? Because I think lots of Evertonians are worried that, you know, we've not only got this to deal with, we've actually got another thing in, in two months' time that it's going on. What are we expecting for them? Yeah, well, obviously, you can never second guess what the Premier League are going to do. They've got so many things wrong uh, with all these charges against these clubs. I think it needs to be done now this season. Let's just get everything on an even keel and uh, get it sorted now whenever we get this verdict. It's obviously difficult when you're then giving points deductions out after the season is finished. We've had complaints from the likes of Leeds and Burnley and Leicester, who are obviously unhappy that uh, Everton were charged. And then, obviously, these points deductions was given out for this season rather than last season, which would have secured Premier League safety for some of those clubs if the points deduction had to come into a force then. So it's a difficult one. I think it needs to be all dealt with now up front and get it done by this season. Otherwise, we're just going to have more ramifications probably going down because whoever does go down this season and the points deduction is not given until next season, will be said, well, that should have been done this season and that might have helped us stay up. So for the sort of... Uh, all those clubs involved in the Premier League, all those 20 clubs who have signed up to the rules uh, and saying it's a level playing field, it needs to be done, I think, in the same time scale. Keith, what are your thoughts? Is, does it have to finish this season? Do you think they need to step in and do Man City's first? How, how are we going to make this work? Well, I saw reports last week that the Premier League have now added additional legal resources, is what I think the phrase was, uh, to assist them in trying to get through the backlog. Well, why wasn't that done before? Why wasn't there enough additional legal resources put in place to handle the Man City case? All that's happened is that Man City have lawyered up to a great extent. I mean, I'm told there's about 30 in-house legal lawyers at Man City. If that's true or not, I'm, I'm not accurate, but I believe it's around that sort of number. So they bullied the Premier League. So the Premier League should have you know, lawyered up themselves long ago and uh, not uh, had a backlog. So there's a big issue around that. And if they're doing it now... Um, you know, then are things going to be in a rush? Are, are people going to have time to really do this properly? It takes a long time, especially if there's an appeal process. So it's a once again, it seems to be mismanaged in terms of uh, you know actually putting the whole process into into action from the Premier League's point of view. And Keith, if we look at the second charge in relating to PSR, I mean, this is quite a difficult question, really. But would you prefer a transfer ban or a points deduction? I mean, neither obviously are preferable. But if you were CEO now, what would you be saying to to your to your colleagues? What do you think is better for the club? Well, I mean, basically, this last January transfer window almost was a transfer ban on all clubs because nothing really happened. <laughs> so you know, I think 
probably a transfer ban is what you'd prefer. Um, but that, you know, it's but it's got to be the sanction that meets the crime. And you know, this was a financial issue, and therefore a fine is what I think should really be the the main way through this. Well, Valentine's Day could be an interesting one for Evertonians, so I guess we'll have to we'll have to wait and see potentially. But Keith, did we move on to the point exactly as you said? The transfer window slammed shut last Thursday night, and really, very little was going on. But you can go and listen back to our podcast episode from Deadline Day if you did miss it. Pete, can you sum up, please, the window for us in general? I mean, Keith vaguely touched on it there. How would you sum up the window in in a few lines? Uh, a bit of a damn squib is probably the best way to describe it but I think it's just a sign of the times uh, a lot of clubs were running scared of PSR and FFP that they didn't want to spend it was more about maybe getting players out um, obviously I think Spurs did a, some decent business uh, early in the window to strengthen their squad uh, they're obviously happy with uh, their balance sheets they feel they were able to go out there and uh, do some business as well but yeah I think there was 17 permanent signings in uh, the Premier League alone in January, which was uh, a big downfall or down the numbers from before. I think it was the lowest spend in uh, the Premier League in the January transfer window since 2011. Even uh, f- uh, in France, Ligue 1 was the highest uh, spending league in this January transfer window with £164 million, while just over £100 million was spent in the Premier League. And that was really... Um, Unfounded, really, uh, considering the year before, I think we had 800 million spent in that January transfer window of 2023 with obviously Chelsea spending really big. But now the real concern is that they're probably looking at uh, FFP uh, regulations in these uh, latest charges, having spent so much as well. But yeah, I think obviously clubs now are being a bit more savvy on what they spend. Uh, as we saw in January, only 17 permanent signings. Any other signings were loan deals with maybe options or obligations and and things like that. So, yeah, it's definitely had a massive impact on the transfer window. You could see that from the summer window where we had another record spend and then we got to this winter, January transfer window. And as I said, there was very little movement, especially among the big clubs. I think 11 clubs in the Premier League didn't spend a single penny. Uh, You saw the the likes of Liverpool, Arsenal not spending anything. Obviously, Everton didn't spend anything due to their situation, but the, probably the anomaly in that was Nottingham Forest still uh, spending money and making signings. Uh, I think now 46 signings across uh, the last three windows. So it's unbelievable that obviously they were sanctioned for breaching FFP regulations, but they still went out there and uh, made some signings. So Obviously, Forrest are confident that uh, they'll find a positive verdict in that respect. Otherwise, they're asking for more trouble, really. And Pete, are there any other clubs that we can mention that might be close to the FFP limit? I know in previous weeks we've spoken about Newcastle, Villa, their sales. Are there any clubs that will be concerned going into future windows? Yeah, I obviously think there is clubs. I think some of the managers have been quite open on it as well. Gary O'Neill was... Uh, quite revealing in that he said that if Wolves had followed up their interests in Normando Brogia and tried to sign him even on loan, they probably would have uh, breached the FFP rules and were facing punishment. Uh, that goes the whole way back to the summer when Wolves were forced to cash in in a number of their players just to help balance the books. You had Ruben Neves leave to go to Saudi Arabia. Mateus Nunes was sold for big money as well to Manchester City and the likes of Nathan Collins, Connor Cody, Raul Jimenez were all offloaded as well just to help Wolves. Uh, in their situation, so they're right on the brink of it. Newcastle, again, was a very public one. Eddie Howe came out and admitted that if Newcastle were to do business in January, it was going to be a, a case of one in, one out. And uh, Newcastle weren't able to do that, didn't sign anybody, despite their desperate need for a centre midfielder due to injuries and also the suspension of Sandro Tonoli. So 
you've got a club like Newcastle who are the richest club in the world uh, on paper, not able to make any signings because they're worried that they're on uh, the fringes of FFP as well. And that's a real concern for the rest of the Premier League. Newcastle obviously point to the fact as well that nobody really wants to help them in the Premier League either because of now the power that they've got and the finances that they have. And also even Manchester United on the fringes of FFP, Eric Ten Hag uh, was a bit disappointed that his club wasn't able to bring in a new striker in January. Having lost uh, Anthony Martial to injury, he said due to FFP constraints, even Manchester United were not able to enter the transfer market to bring in a signing. And it was quite uh, marked at Man United as well that it was players leaving the club rather than players coming in in January. It was a number of departures, whether that was on loan or permanence as well. We had Jaden Sancho go out, Van de Beek go out, Hannibal go out, Pellistri go out as well. So yeah, Man United were sort of clearing the decks and looking to balance the books in January rather than normally a club like Manchester United will be looking to make uh, signings in that transfer window. So I think probably that tells you everything you need to know what happened in this January window. Um, Keith, what do you think the impact is going to be with the lack of major signings in terms of the title race and the relegation battle? Does it impact it at all? Because really clubs haven't been able to bolster their squads going into the second half of the season. Oh, it's um, so much depends on injuries, um, you know, as we all know, and uh, getting through the Christmas and January periods, those that have come through pretty well. And I think most of them are have come through reasonably. I think we'll be OK. And uh, I think it's going to be a very exciting both ends of the table. Um, so I don't think a January window is actually going to make um, that much difference. One observation I'd make about the January window is normally it happens that there are two or three big transfers that then set off a whole you know avalanche of different deals as it goes down the chain. And you look at the big clubs. I mean, Man United had the Ratcliffe situation going on. Chelsea have got their own distractions off the pitch. Man City have got their own distractions in terms of the charges. Nearly all the big clubs, Liverpool had had, knew, had known in January that Klopp was going to go. Um, so each of them had off-the-pitch distractions that I think made them all pause and think that, you know, we're going to keep our powder dry to the summer. So there was an unusual number of off-field factors that I think maybe have calmed down quite a bit of spending. Uh, and that's an interesting way to look at it as well. Um, you mentioned Forrest, of course, that they weren't really um, penalised in the same way um, in terms of having off-the-field distractions, although then the charge did come eventually. So it seems that, I guess what I'm getting at is that off-field business and off-field distractions are starting to become bigger than the actual football you know, squad deals which is is so wrong and uh it, it's it's really worrying that this is becoming a trend that the business of football the legal side of football is starting to dominate and if it's affecting that some things like the transfer window and squad sizes and the chance to improve your team then that's a very bad sign for football i, I mean you're i think you're spot on keith and not only that pete going forwards this window like you said 17 permanent deals is this going to foreshadow potentially a quiet summer window as well are we anticipating a busy summer or do you see it being again that it's going to be one where clubs really are towing the line with ffp i think obviously they'll be wary of what they do more but the summer window is the window where most clubs will look to do business it's the best opportunity you've got time to go out and sign your top targets uh, also for the clubs who lose their best players it gives them time to go out and bring replacements in as well so I think we'll have a we'll have a big spend in the summer as normal. There'll be um, a lot of high-profile players moving on. 
as well for big money. And then obviously, like Keith mentioned there, there will be a filter down effect of uh, players moving from clubs to clubs and that'll filter down from the Premier League, hopefully to the EFL as well. We saw a bit of that in January with Crystal Palace uh, signing Adam Wharton uh, from Blackburn Rovers. So that money will be filtering down to the EFL. Also, Morgan Rogers joining Aston Villa from Middlesbrough as well. So that'll be a filter down effect. Middlesbrough obviously didn't go out and spend the money they got from Morgan Rogers. So they're obviously waiting for the summer to do their business as well. And as Keith said, there was quite a few other off-field distractions uh, in this January transfer window, which maybe forced clubs not to spend money uh, in the winter markets. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp leaving, obviously Liverpool still looking now at director of football as well. So they weren't going to do much business, but with a new manager and a new director of football set to arrive at Anfield, I would expect some transfer activity there. Obviously, Jim Ratcliffe, and Ineos will obviously have plans for Manchester United as well. Now they once their deal is finally ratified and once they're looking to bring in a director of football as well. So he'll be looking to have a big impact at Old Trafford. So I, I think spending will be there in the summer, no doubt about that. It is the window to do business. And as I said, those big clubs that didn't do any business in January will definitely be looking to improve their squads and try and compete and uh, win silverware next season because uh, I think these big clubs have the money to go out and spend. So I expect the summer transfer window to be uh, definitely very busy. And as I said, there'll be a, a filter down effect and a domino effect of players moving and leaving from certain clubs. So the money will hopefully be spread out. And uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, clubs and agents uh, preparing for that summer transfer window right now. Well, let's hope it's a bit more interesting for us all. That is that is for sure. So there's some there's much more to talk about. And if we move on to Premier League governance, it sounds like the Premier League set to introduce new voting on FFP rules that might get rid of the one hundred and five million pound limit at the moment. What are the details of this new ruling, Pete? And when is it likely to come into play if it does happen? Yeah, I think obviously a lot of clubs would like uh, the governance to change in that one. As we've previously talked in other uh, podcasts, that hundred and five million limit now is probably way too low when you look at some of the transfer fees that are being spent on players. Chelsea broke the British transfer record twice uh, with some of their signings of over £100 million. So it just doesn't add up now to have such a small limit of £105 million when players are moving for more than that. Declan Rice, we've had moved. Moises Casado have moved for over £100 million as well. So I think clubs will be hoping that these new uh, regulations will come into effect ahead of the summer transfer window. I'm not sure it'll happen that quickly and for that to come into effect but yeah I think all clubs especially the likes of Newcastle who obviously have money to spend um, but weren't able due to the FFP constraints they'll be hoping that these uh, limits are increased and lifted to allow them to go out and spend money because Eddie Howe was desperately looking to strengthen in January but because of the regulations and the possible punishments uh, Newcastle weren't able to do that so yeah I think sign of the times now we need to see that limit uh, increased. And Keith, what do you think the potential benefits or drawbacks are removing the £105 million limit? I mean, we've spoken about Newcastle and joked on here, the richest club in the world not being able to spend. I mean, it was it was quite ironic, really, going into this window. Well, I'm not a great fan of, you know, stopping owners from putting money into squads and clubs. Um, I think there has to be some sort of uh, limit, but I, don't, I think we're way too tight. It's funny how Pete talks about the £105 million and then correlates it with transfer spending. The Everton sanction was based basically on interest payments for building a new stadium, nothing to do with players in, in, in the whole reason. But certainly, I think the the, the, the the way it's moving towards the UEFA model of 
a proportion of turnover is probably some sort of uh, a nod in the right way. But I still think we should be inviting owners and people to spend. At the end of the day, it's still only 11 against 11. And we've only, you know, we've seen many number of times, all of us have seen how highly paid squads get beaten by a better team on the day. And so, you know, I just don't see a real need for us to uh, to do this. None of the clubs we're talking about in the Premier League are facing bankruptcy as far as I can see. Uh, and I don't think, you know, if they've got the rich owners and the, if there's a bonding system in place, then maybe we can do that. But I'm a bigger fan of opening it up a little bit further. Do you think that it, then the Premier League becomes more attractive to investors if we do get rid of the £105 million limit? Well, it's funny. The, the NFL franchises went through the roof in terms of valuation when there was a salary cap. And that was what they wanted to have. And the American owners, we've always talked about the American owners in the Premier League being able to get enough votes together to try and get some sort of salary cap. That's the cost base that runs away. Uh, it isn't so much the transfer spending, it's more the, 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 the wages and the salaries. So if there was, I know it's been talked about many times, but there's got to be some sort of formula um, that would then limit the transfers if you had a salary cap. That's the way I think, Rand, you should be thinking about it. Um, so that's what will increase the valuation and get better investment into the Premier League. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I guess, again, it remains to be seen how this kind of this sort of plays out. And Pete, in terms of the current stance on an independent regulator, I know Keith and I have discussed on a previous episode. What's your thought on bringing in an independent regulator to make sure that actually we are staying on top of clubs finances? Yeah, obviously, it's been talked about a long time. Gary Neville has been a big uh supporter of this feeling that an independent regulator is needed to be brought in to help English football. Obviously, we've seen so many horror stories of clubs who have obviously chased the dream, spent big, then found themselves dropping down the legs and even some have gone out of business as well, which has been very sad to see. But I think obviously the Premier League clubs, because of the TV money that's involved, there's so much money there that obviously they'll probably find themselves okay in that respect. Uh, but yeah, I think if you're looking lower down the food order of clubs as well, I think a regulator is needed to be brought in as well. But there'll be lots of opposition to it, especially from the Premier League clubs who, who don't really want it. Um, and the, the owners of some of these big clubs don't want it either in case it uh, impacts on their plans as well. So I think it's just going to be an ongoing debate um, probably for quite a long time now. And I don't see it changing anytime soon because of the opposition to it. It's a real stalemate. I mean, Keith, what do you make of an independent regulator? Well, you'd say that the uh, the behaviour of the Premier League recently would indicate that we need one. Uh, but my worries about an independent regulator is that it will then be politically led by the government of the day that comes in. Um, I mean, there are certain agendas about fan involvement in club ownership that I think are completely wrong. And uh, it's those sort of things that if they start going down political avenues, that could be the problem. Uh, but certainly, I think there needs to be some sort of commissioner or a watchdog, uh, at least, to try and make sure that we're not getting into the mess that we seem to be leading in right now. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. And I think by the same accord as well, Pete, you'd assume too that if we are to remove the £105 million limit, it actually might feel like previous transfer windows where there is big spending. We might not have that concern about clubs really not being able to spend very much or doing loan-to-buys or loan deals because they are so nervous to bring in players if they're breaking the rules. Yeah, it obviously opens the door again for uh, more transactions involving clubs if there is no limit on what they can spend. Uh, obviously, fans love transfer windows. They love to see their players uh, or their clubs linked with big-name players and big-name signings as well. As long as it's uh, 
the clubs do know how to balance their books and don't leave themselves in trouble, I think we definitely have to increase that limit as well. We don't want to see clubs just throwing money at it and then finding themselves in all sorts of financial trouble further down the line. As I said, we've seen clubs and look at the way Reading are going right now, which is really sad to see. We've had Wigan in previous years as well. So a lot of it comes down to uh, owners as well and how much committed they are to the club. I think, as I said, the Premier League is slightly different because it's such a huge institution with so much money swirling around it that the, these clubs probably don't find themselves in such situations. But yeah, obviously you don't want it to be the wild, wild west with uh, you can spend as much as you want in that respect either. We want a level playing field as best as we can because we just don't want uh, certain clubs who have got uh, unrivaled uh, wealth just to be dominating as they have been in recent years as well. So a level playing field for all is what uh, most fans would ask for. But yeah, as you said, we would definitely need that limit increase because it's definitely not... Uh, attainable now i think for clubs to be uh, 105 million pound uh, limit over three years i don't think that's uh, sustainable no I, I think you're spot on and if we move on to manchester city what's the current situation pete with their club with their alleged 115 ffp charges yeah well this is the ongoing elephant in the room i think probably with the premier league obviously richard masters has quite and said that a date is set but wouldn't publicly reveal it uh when that would be set um I think we won't get a verdict probably for at least another year or more, 2025. Um, and obviously it's caused a lot of consternation with uh, a lot of Manchester City's rivals that nothing's happened. And obviously Everton and Nottingham Forest, uh, as we've spoke earlier in the show, they feel why they've been punished before Manchester City, who have had these charges hanging over them now for a while. Obviously their case is slightly more complex. Um, 115 charges they're facing and over that nine-year time frame I think from 2009 to 2018 but in that time I think they've won seven Premier League titles so they're still going on winning silverware able to spend money and I think that causes a bit of uh, discontent among rival fans that still nothing's been done over these charges and obviously we had was it Stefan Orson I think who was saying who's former Manchester City employee suggesting that if they are found guilty of these charges facing certain relegation. I'm not too sure about that, but yeah, it needs to be sorted sooner rather than later. But I'm delaying it to 2025. It's not going to do anybody any good apart from Man City. And do you think relegation would be fair, Keith? Is is that a fair, it, it, provided that all the charges do uh, are effectively approved and, and are proved, do you think relegation is, is then the right, is necessary punishment? Well, one thing I'd uh, caution here is we're talking about 115 charges and everybody says, well, that's such a huge number and it's so complex. As I understand it, there are probably only three or four categories that those 115 charges come into. So maybe it isn't that complex after all. I mean, there are certain, you know, multiple charges within certain categories. And I'll come back to my point that I think the Premier League should have uh, got additional legal resources at the time to have handled this, as, as I mentioned earlier. Relegation, I think if it is proven to be as egregious as it supposedly is, then I think relegation must be there. We saw it in Scotland before with Rangers. Um, with their, their EBT issues. So, it, you know, it's not uh, the first time it, it's happened. And, um, look, again, I, I don't have knowledge of the, all the actual charges, but it would seem to be, um, you know, pretty serious at certain levels. And um, I'm, my biggest worry, as I mentioned again earlier, is that there'll be a political fix somehow to try and get this resolved. And whether, the, you know, the changing of the rules will happen again and all of a sudden there'll be... Uh, a negotiated settlement with Man City, I don't know. Um, 
there's yeah, I'm really concerned about governmental interference on this one. I really am. Pete, what do you reckon? Is is relegation fair? Is a transfer ban for five years? How do you sanction 115 alleged charges if they, if, as I said, if they are all proved? Yeah, imagine it's going to be a hefty punishment, whatever it is, if the, those charges are approved and they are found uh, guilty. Manchester City, as I said, we've had it previously up in Scotland when Rangers were relegated uh, for their financial irregularities. So if Manchester City have broken the rules and uh, there are 115 of them, I think it's got to be something as hefty as relegation. Obviously, Manchester City have denied all the charges and will fight all the way to try and uh, ensure that they are aren't punished as severely as some people have suggested. Obviously, they were uh, charged by UEFA and banned from the Champions League, but then that was suspended and everything else. So they escaped punishment in that one, and they'll be hoping to escape punishment, I think, from the Premier League over these charges as well. So, it's as I said, it's a difficult one. Um, I think a lot of the, obviously, Manchester City's rivals would love to see them relegated because it would uh, make it a more level playing field for them to go on and win silverware uh, and everything else. But yeah, Manchester City, as Keats mentioned earlier, are, are armied up with uh, lots of uh, legal teams now and they will fight the case and they will have confidence having won against UEFA that they can also win against the Premier League. And Keith, now we know, of course, as you mentioned, Everton's verdict set to be announced mid-February. Following the second charge as well, we still don't know when that Manchester City case is going to really take place. As Pete mentioned, could be as 2025, could be as early as the end of this year, would remain to be seen. What are your thoughts around that and the delay of this process? I know you mentioned earlier in the show that you'd like to have had that finished first, but now we're not in that position. How do we speed up this process so it doesn't just drag on and on like it feels it is? Well, this is the, the worry. It becomes a battle of budget and who can afford to you know hire the KCs and, and that's going to... It could well be that Everton having to spend so much on the appeals now breach financial fair play again because of the legal bills that they've got. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and Man City, look, I, I don't know. I mean, look, you know, Everton are playing them on the, at the weekend. Um, if we lose, if Everton lose, then, uh, you know, that's three points against a team that's um, facing 115 charges. And yet, you know, We've had the the sanction placed on us already. I mean, look, there's so many inequities in this uh, that that's what worries me about the integrity of the league. And that if we haven't got sporting integrity, then we have nothing. And Pete, what did you make that they they broke the record for the Premier League wage bill last season? And they also, of course, announced the record in revenue. What are your thoughts around that? It's no surprise that they're breaking uh, the record for wages. They've got. They've got the best squad in the Premier League, probably the best squad in Europe right now. And so if you want those best players, you're going to have to pay the big wages. Obviously, Erling Haaland was a big arrival um, on astronomical money. It's suggested rather than what is actually been out there and what he's getting. Is, it seems like he's getting a lot more. But yeah, Manchester City, they want to be up there competing for the highest honour. So that means you're going to have to have a high wage bill because they will be competing for the best and most expensive players in the world and everything else. So that's no surprise. The squad's stacked with internationals. When you've got a hundred million pound players sat on your bench, like Jack Grealish, that tells you everything you need to know of the strength of Manchester City and probably then the wages that they have to pay for these world-class stars as well. So we shouldn't be surprised by that. Um, so I think Manchester City will continue to do that. They will be active in these transfer markets and uh, right up there looking to sign the best players. And when you want to sign the best players, you have to pay the best wages to get them. Yeah, and if we move on from Manchester City back over to Everton and talk more generally, Pete, what's the current state of play regarding Everton's ownership and 777 partners? 
No, that's the big question. I don't think anybody knows. Obviously, Seven Seven Partners have shown their commitment to Everton with these loans to keep uh, the club going uh, over these last few months. It's a real delicate situation at Everton. Seven Seven Partners have been quite active and uh, public in being at games as well. So obviously, they're hoping to get the green light from the Premier League that they can uh, complete this takeover and for Everton they really need it to happen um, but then on the flip side of that you, f- you hear all these other scaremongering reports of issues between 7-7 partners and some of their other clubs across the world as well so that would be concerning for Everton fans and then could they pass the fitting person's proper test for with the Premier League as well so there'll be question marks over that so yeah it's it's all up in the air in that one but you got to admire uh, that 7-7 partners are in this they seem to be in it for the long haul because they want to get the deal done because they're still putting uh, the money where their mouth is and they're putting money into Everton right now. And Keith, it sounds like Brownlee Mordock's still on track. So the, the, the world-renowned stadium that we've spoken about previously in, in, in a previous episode is, is still on, still going to be happening. What are your thoughts around this and the delay? Because, of course, when we spoke, it looked like it'd only be a month or so until 777 Partners would then take over. They still haven't. What, yeah, what do you make of it? Well, I think the process was supposed to take 12 weeks, and I think we're now in either the 19th or 20th week of the process, which does indicate there are some severe issues. Uh, I think Masters mentioned in the, um, the House of Commons that they expected it probably by the end of the month, I think, at the time, and so we're already past that again. So there are obviously issues. Um, it's been reported widely that they've actually put, you know, I think it's 160 or up to 190 million into the club right now. I'm hearing from other sources that may not be the case, that a lot of it is actually almost like an IOU, uh, that there are, you know, we will put the money in if needed. So I'm not sure if it's all quite as simple as that. The Premier League's issue, I think, is that if they approve 777 and then they're proven to be you know, bad owners, they've got a problem. If they don't approve 777, Everton's got a problem. So the Premier League's in a difficult position on both ways. I still believe there are other potential buyers out there, and I think that is still going to be the best option. And it would depend on what exclusivity deal 777 have with Everton uh, and whether it they have an exclusive on this deal until the Premier League makes a decision, which in which case it would be difficult for other buyers to actually get to the table to do that. Uh, but I'm still hopeful that would be the case and that there is a, another source out there. And Keith, you are confident then that they won't walk away, regardless of how long it's taking. You think the Premier League will have to come to a verdict and then a decision will be made? I think it has to be. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's dragged on. They're obviously doing some uh, incredible diligence into what's gone on. As Pete said, look, there's been a lot of reported issues around not only the other clubs they own, but around the other businesses they're involved in. There are numerous lawsuits, I mean, for some very serious issues in the States. So there is, you know, passing the smell test is is pretty tough right now for 777. And the Premier League would be, you know, in real trouble if they uh, end up with, you know, a, a problem down the road, maybe in even six months down the road if they, if they approve them. So it's, it's a difficult one. And I think the only other option for Everton, as I say, is with a great new stadium, uh, and it is going to be spectacular, a chance to improve their revenues by maybe 40, 50, 60 million dollars, uh, pounds a year, um, those are the sort of things that we've got to look forward to, but it needs more stability in the background, there's no doubt. So you think that is the glimmer of hope then for Evertonians, it is the stadium? It's funny how the stadium has been the cause of these problems, but I think it could well be the saviour of the club in the end, yes.
Yeah, very interesting. I guess, again, remains to be seen what what happens. And Pete, how do you see it going? You know, actually, of course, we've seen Everton's two charges going on. 777 are still involved. How much of an impact would it be if Everton, say, are to get relegated for whatever reason, whether that's due to on-field issues and they're not performing, whether it's the points deductions and getting points back and then more points deductions? Would relegation be a real cause for concern for any potential investors? Oh, of course, uh, it'll have a major impact uh, on potential investors into the club if they get relegated. Obviously, the price tag for one will go down uh, for anybody looking to buy into the club. So I think that will be one of the major ramifications. Uh, I think Everton would still be an attractive proposition to a lot of investors, even if they are in the championship. They are one of the founding clubs of the Premier League, um, obviously got a great fan base and obviously Got a great new stadium to move into as well at Bramley Moor when it does finally get completed. But ideally, Everton want that to be in the Premier League, not the Championship, because they don't want to be in that uh, brand spanking new stadium playing Championship football. And relegation just has so many other ramifications. You're going to lose a number of your top stars inevitably because they don't want to play in the Championship. So again, Everton could uh, see a number of their, their best assets uh, leave the club if they do suffer relegation. And there's no guarantee that you can win promotion back straight away. Obviously, you have the parachute payments and everything else to help. But we've seen clubs before be relegated from the Premier League and it's taken them quite a long time to get back to where they feel Leeds obviously had a very uh, big fall from the Premier League at that time when they dropped down two leagues and other clubs have done similar as well. I'm sure Everton wouldn't want that to happen to them if the worst did happen and they did suffer relegation from the Premier League. I think they've had a good season uh, up to now, and unfortunately without 10 points deduction, if they didn't have that, they would be sitting in mid-table and uncomfortable. And I think Sean Dyche has done a really good job with what he's been able to work with at Everton due to the restrictions in the transfer market as well. He's not been able to go out and splash the cash as well. But yeah, relegation would be a nightmare for Everton because obviously I think for investment it could hamper that. And I think also it could mean a number of top stars leave the club as well. Keith, you predicted back in uh, back in early December that Everton would stay up. We're now halfway through the season. Are you still confident, regardless of off-field issues and the points deductions? Do you think with the current squad, Everton do stay up? Yeah, I do. I'm still uh, pretty bullish on that. I think looking at the fixture list till the end of the season, I think there's enough points in there for them to uh, at least finish outside the relegation places. Um, look, relegation, though, would be an absolute nightmare, as Pete said. I lived it when I uh, took over at Aston Villa. It was the season that they'd just been relegated from the Premier League. And I understand the reality of trying to get out of the championship as much as anybody. And it is a very, very tough job to do that. And it took Villa three years, and that was the last year of the parachute payments. And if they hadn't got up that year, then you know they may well still be down there like a Leeds and a Forest were for many, many years. Um, hopefully, Everton can do a Leicester if they go down, but it's it's very, very hard. And... As Pete says, it will be reflected in the price tag for the club. But it's that asset of the stadium that would be uh, keeping investors interested and seeing the value in that asset uh, and the whole re in the whole area around the new stadium that uh, they could make some property deals in. So there's, you know, there is some hope, but no doubt on the football side, relegation could be uh, could be very, very dangerous. And if we move from Merseyside over to the East Midlands, Pete, what's the state of play, please, regarding Nottingham Forest and their current trial over the PSR breaches? Well, obviously, they'll be waiting for the verdict from these charges. They've obviously admitted breaching them. But the thing I can't get my head around is that they're still making signings <laughs> in January, despite the, those uh, charges against them. 
looking like there will be a points deduction against them. So we just need to find out when it will be. Will it be for this season or for next season as well? But I think bit like 46 signings across the last three transfer windows. That's not sustainable. Um, but so how can you be under sanction and still be spending money? I think that's the big uh, question mark over what's going on in the London Forest. And they are going to be hard, hit harder than anyone else, probably because the first year of that three-year uh, reporting period is when they were in the championship. So it'll be championship revenue. So I think that's going to have an impact on them as well, because obviously they weren't in the Premier League then and obviously they would have uh, bigger revenues than they did in the championship but it does seem that uh, the club are just carrying on regardless right now we're still active in the january transfer market obviously there was players traded and players moved on to help balance the books but it's still a bloated squad there at the city ground and i think they might have the book thrown at them and keith as as pete mentioned since being promoted forest has spent 150 million pounds plus on over 40 players. How much do you think the club will be regretting that now? I mean, at the time, most fans thought it was quite a bit of a revelation, if you'd like to call it that. They were making all these signings. They had a brand new, like brand new shiny squad. And now actually it might come back to bite them. Well, as I said earlier, I don't really have that much of a problem with it. I mean, why can't an owner actually, if he's got the funds to do this, why can't he ever go at staying in the Premier League? Uh, you know, it's, I think that's what makes the game great. It gave the Forest fans a lot of hope and it was exciting uh, to try and see them, you know, do, do the best they could. I personally don't have a problem with it. Uh, as long as uh, Marinakis, the owner, can afford it, that's fine. Uh, it's when he starts, you know, putting the club in debt and jeopardising the whole future, then I'd have an issue with it. But it seems he's got the resources from all reports and he's uh, certainly, so far, there's been no issues around the, fin the financing. So I, I, I wish him good luck. Well, I guess it remains to be seen how they get on. Of course, second half of the season, they are teetering on relegation. Pete, they're currently sitting 16th in the table, two points above the drop zone, which is where Everton are placed at the moment. If they do receive a points deduction, whenever that will be again, remains to be seen. Could that be a defining factor as to whether they go down or not? Yeah, I think obviously, even without the points deduction, I think they were going to find themselves in this relegation battle of obviously changed manager in December to try and uh, see uh, if they can climb up the table with Nuno being brought in and Steve Cooper paying the price. I think they've won five games in the Premier League so far this season. They'll be looking for a big improvement in this uh, last 14 games or so of the Premier League to ensure that they do stay up as well. Obviously, a point deduction will really hurt them and give hope to the teams around them that they can get out of it. You look at the likes of Luton Town. If uh, they saw Nottingham Forest get a points deduction, it's going to really uh, improve their chances of staying up as well. And they're a team that's finding a bit of form. I think getting four points from the last two games against Brighton and Newcastle will be a huge lift to Luton Town and uh, their fight to stay up as well. But for Nottingham Forest, uh, they'll be doing everything they can to avoid this points deduction because if it does come in, I do really fear that they they will be one of the three clubs relegated from the Premier League uh, this season as well. And the other caveat in that as well is no relegation clauses uh, reportedly in the contracts of the players at the city ground as well. So they could have a major uh, problem on their hands next season, uh, trying to offload players on Premier League wages in the championship. Yeah, that, and that could be a that would be a massive blow for them, wouldn't it? That'd be absolutely dreadful. Keith, I know we spoke previously. We didn't know when when Everton's second second announcement is going to be in terms of uh, in terms of their charges. What do we think about about Forest? Do we anticipate the Premier League to make this announcement before the end of the season? Is it likely to be that it's going to be after it finishes? I think they've got to make it before the end of the season. I mean, to try and salvage any any respect at all, they've got to try and do that. To do this after the season, I think there'll be uproar. And it just, I mean, the, the actual mechanics of the Premier League, 
Once the season's finished, all the clubs meet uh, normally in June, and then that's the, really the start. We welcome in the new clubs who've been promoted, etc. You wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't know who was up and who was down and the whole thing. <laughs> Just it would put the whole calendar of running the Premier League into into complete turmoil. So it's for, for all sorts of reasons, but this is a mess of their own making. Again, I would say this, and uh, once again. Masters and Alison Britton, the chairman, I think have got to take all the blame for this. And uh, I'll keep on saying it as long as I can. Well, yeah, I'm sure you absolutely will. So if we come to our final club and talk about Wolverhampton Wanderers, Pete, what's the current situation regarding FFP? Because, of course, they also were, were very sounds towing the line. Yeah, really are towing the line. Uh, Wolves weren't able to do any business in the January transfer window, despite their desire to bring in a new striker that Gary O'Neill wanted to. Uh, as I said, he was quite uh, revealing. And then he's saying that if they had assigned uh, a player like Broja or Yuri Alberto, who they were interested in in January, it probably would have pushed them over that limit and saw them facing punishment. So they have seen what's happened to their rivals, Everton and Nottingham Forest. So they've known they've had to balance the books. They knew that from last season when they went and sold a number of high-profile players, Neves and Mateus Nunes, to help balance the books as well. Um, I think just looking at it right now, June 30th could be an interesting uh, date. Uh, could be the new transfer deadline day because it's uh, the need maybe for those clubs who are on the fringes of FP, FFP needing to sell players before June 30th. Uh, if sales are to be included in the accounts for this season. So you might see a number of clubs uh, looking to sell some players uh, before that date to ensure that it helps balance the books uh, for the accounts for 2023-24. So we saw last season a bit, I think with Chelsea, Mason Mount uh, left to go to Manchester United before that date just to help balance the books as well. So maybe the likes of Wolves who are right on the brink of FFP might have to do similar. Wow. June the 30th. That is really, I mean, I think for most fans, this thing, Pete, that's, that, that's really early. It's sort of the reverse to what Spurs did going into the window. Spurs obviously bought really early on. They did their business early. Sounds like clubs might actually be going into the window and saying, actually, we need to, we need to offload you as soon as we can. But then obviously, if that, if that is the case, uh, any uh, interested club who's looking to buy the players know they've got those clubs over a bit of a barrel, really, that the, they know they're desperate for the money. So they can maybe get those transfer targets for uh, reduced prices than normal. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to see what does happen with uh, a number of these clubs right on the fringes of FFP being forced to sacrifice a number of players before June 30th. And Keith, they offloaded 17 players for £140 million in the summer. Of course, that did get them out of the Premier League sanctions like has been, like been mentioned. Do you think going into the window, they would have known that they were in trouble and actually they would have pinpointed specific players saying, actually, we're going to get a really good deal out of X. We need to sell them to, to effectively toe the line. I think they obviously did and they executed that way. And uh, to add to Pete's point, I think Chelsea comes in that category of the clubs are going to have to offload early as well. And that's going to be the big one that will set the ripple effects going if they don't uh, achieve their targets as well. But I'd come back to my overall point that we mentioned Forest, maybe one or two signings, Wolves one or two signings. Are we actually saying that these were going to fundamentally change the balance of the Premier League uh, if the clubs are over just by you know a little bit? It just shows to me that these limits and the rules are not fit for purpose and are being applied in the wrong way. And there's got to be a way of common sense to come into this because... I don't see these as game-changing, uh, you know, massive transfers that are going to affect the whole outcome of the Premier League. So there's got to be some common sense, and that's where, that's what's missing. Uh, but yes, I think clubs do target certain players. They, they will try and get value. They've seen 
how the points deductions can be, you know, in, in, in put in place. So that's the worrying time. And so, yes, again, now we've got accountants becoming more important than players. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the whole thing is getting out of balance from the football pitch. And Pete, are we likely to see an increase in Wolves' activity going into the summer window? I mean, effectively, like Keith had mentioned, they're not lighting up the players. They signed one man, Noah Lamina, on loan from PSG in January. Are you anticipating them to have a busier summer window, potentially, in terms of incomings? Yeah, I'm sure Gary and Neil will be hoping they'll be busier in the summer transfer window. I think the Lamina signing was one very much for the future, a young player from PSG. Um, but yeah... Obviously, Gary Neal, I think, has done a fantastic job at Wolves with, with what he's had to work with. He obviously went into that job knowing the financial restrictions that were placed upon him. I think that was one of the main reasons why Julian Lopetegui left, because there was no transfer budget to work with this summer without losing uh, a number of their key players, which he wasn't happy about. So Gary Neal stepped into it and uh, has got the best out of that squad that's at his disposal at Molyneux right now as well. A lot will depend if any other players do end up leaving Molyneux in the summer. They might have to sacrifice a player or two to help them strengthen the squad elsewhere. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of eyes on the future of Pedro Neto, who's obviously attracted a lot of interest uh, from some major clubs in the Premier League and across Europe as well. Do Wolves have to sacrifice him to allow Gary O'Neill to spend some money and uh, sign players to strengthen his squad elsewhere? I think... That's a conundrum that a lot of clubs are facing right now that they have to cash in. And uh, we've also seen it as well. Selling homegrown players is probably the way to get around these things because that is maximising profit. That is pure profit for these clubs if they do sell homegrown players. And we've obviously heard a lot of suggestions that Chelsea might have to do that. Uh, with the likes of Conor Gallagher, who's been strongly linked with moves in the last couple of transfer windows, but still remains at Stamford Bridge. But if he was to move, that would be pure profit for Chelsea. And Pete, just to reiterate there, so earlier on you mentioned that it sounded like Wolves weren't able to sign a striker simply because of FFP. And was that even on loan? That that wasn't just a that wasn't a, a loan to buy, but that was a loan as well. I think it was due to Chelsea were demanding a loan fee for Amanda Brosia as well. So they were talking of I think a four million loan fee. So even that was out of Wolves' uh, sort of price range for that one. And obviously contributing to his wages, he's on a lucrative deal at Chelsea as well. So that wouldn't have uh, probably helped Wolves uh, to get him in either. So they had a pull out of that race for Amanda Brogia and Fulham ended up then signing the striker on deadline day. So, yeah, as I said, Gary Wolves, uh, Gary O'Neill's had his hands tied a bit at Wolves, but he's been fully receptive to that and aware of it. And he's got on with it. But, yeah, he'll be hoping that maybe the push strings might be uh, loosened uh, in the summer to allow him to make some signings, but there's no guarantees. That was absolutely brilliant. So much insight and exclusive news across a range of subjects today. Thanks very much to both Peter Rourke and Keith Wyness for their expert detail on all the stories covering so many clubs. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a share on social media wherever you can. And any clips you see on YouTube, make sure to give us a like and a comment, as well as subscribing to the channel. I'm Lewis Pears, and we'll speak to you all on the next show here on the Inside Track. <laughs>